Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Parents are too involved in their kids' lives for too long. The data shows that's exactly what's going on. The question is whether or not it's as bad as we worried it would be. And by we, I mean me. It's Jason. Welcome to Drive Time. Nice to have you with us today. We were visiting with some friends last night. They have younger kids. One is going into sixth grade. Another is in kindergarten. They're really involved, right? They're in the thick of it. This is go time for parenting. Your kids are not independent in most ways. And all of us who've had kids, like you've sort of been there. The idea when my kids were young was that you'd sort of step back as time goes on. You're there for support. You never stop parenting, really. But you transition. And what... The data shows is that young adults right now, 18 to 25, are more reliant on their parents than any other generation. My question to you is that, is it good or bad? Are we, as parents, creating a generation of kids who are sort of still attached to us? I don't want to be over dramatic and say like that we've gener- uh, raised a generation of kids who are still kids, but sometimes it feels like that. Six five one four six one nine two two six. It's different than when my parents raised me. I was the oldest of four, and the expectation is on me to call them. So I moved out of town. My parents do not text me. They don't call me. Perhaps you're like me where you've had that weekly conversation with out-of-town parents. And it comes up like, oh, your dad was in the hospital this week, had a minor procedure. What? (laughs) There is a middle ground between the level of involvement of my parents and the level of involvement that we're seeing with Gen X parents. My generation. And then what we'll see going forward. Here is the information in in the New York Times today, but it comes out of a couple of surveys from Pew Research Center. The percentage of young people who say they reach out to a parent at least once a day or a few times a week, right? So for young women, 70% send texts at least a few times a week. So this is this is 18 to 34-year-olds, 70% send texts. And you think like, well, that's, that's fine, right? Is that fine? I don't know. I have to say I have a visceral reaction when another parent says, I text my adult child multiple times a day. And maybe I'm wrong. 55% 
phone or FaceTime or video chat at least once a day. Is this good for young people? I mean, the data is sort of all over the place, right? You look at our youngest generation, kids 34 years old and uh, kids. See, I just did it. (laughs) Adults 34 and younger. And you say mental health in that generation is challenged. Now, there is a global pandemic. The, pol- the social media coverage of the politics of today certainly makes you feel like the world is falling apart. And frankly, the newspaper maybe makes you feel like the world is falling apart. So I get that. So it's hard to draw a, a, a causal line here, right? Is the hyper-involved parenting leading to a, a generation that's like more babyish, more reliant on, on mommy and daddies, Or is just like the world situation is bad, and so that's why you have some of this mental health issue. What some of the experts say is that both things are true. And if you survey the parents and you survey the young adults, everybody seems okay with it. Which, again, doesn't tell you that it's good or bad. I can speak for myself. When I was 22 and starting my first job uh, three hours away from my family's home, the last thing I wanted to do was to hear from my family every day. (laughs) And I love my parents. Like, I had a very healthy relationship with my parents. Daily texting, daily, I mean, we didn't have texting. Back then, you see, you had to, like, get a telegram and then give it to a pigeon, and a pigeon would take it over. 651-461-9226. One texter says it's way harder to be a young adult now than when I was a young adult. Is that true? Is it harder? I think there are aspects of it that are harder, right? Like the fact that your life is also a performance art piece that it's out there for the world. You see this performative posting from your friends that makes you question your own success, your own income, your own life. That is harder. But like you have a different level of connection. You still can stay in touch with your friends. Back when I moved out to Davenport, Iowa and didn't know a soul, um, you know, you had to make friends there because we didn't have sort of the instant communication that people have now to stay in touch with their old friends. I do think that's one big change I see generationally. A lot of my generation, when you moved off to college or if you moved away, you had to find new friends. Whereas... Younger colleagues of mine, I I see them like traveling all over the country to go hang out with their their college friends or their high school friends. And I, I feel that's a generational shift. And I think that's I don't know. I think that's a good. It's fine. That's a fine thing. Well, I mean, it's technology, right? I yeah. Mean, it, it, technology gives you both tremendous advantages if you're, you know, a 25 to 35 year old now, say with then when we, you and I were 25 to 35 and those same technologies bring with it tremendous complications. 
So it's both. Yeah. Just like you know, the experts are saying. And that's what the experts are yeah, saying, right? Like, are they over-reliant on helicopter parents? Yes. And does that seem to be okay with everyone? Is everyone happy with it? Also, yes. One of the things that get, that's brought up here that I'm curious what people think about this, it's 651-461-9226. The baby boomer generation was sort of the generation that had this, like, I don't know. It's sort of like the animal kingdom method where you raise the child and then then you kick them out. And prior to that, you had this idea of more of like a family house where the family's support was multi-generational. It wasn't you get kicked out. And so perhaps what technology is enabling is more of a return. Maybe that baby boomer era is the weird era, not the way things are being done today. I do think that we certainly, and and I think about this in the way I parent my kids, right? Like I'm way more empathetic and supportive of their concerns. Well, I don't want to say I'm more empathetic and supportive than my parents were, but we just didn't talk about that kind right. of it stuff. Right, it just was a different context. That wasn't, it wasn't a trust me, Tell me about your life. Like, it was, but in a different, different yeah. Very different way. It's like I'm your mom. Like, we don't talk about your relationship problems. We don't talk about you analyzing who you are as a person. Like, that's just not. And also back then, like, we weren't necessarily analyzing who we were as a person. Like, life is so different. It very much is. But I do, and some of it is my own bias, right, where you say, like, this is the way I do it. I still worry about what – and I guess if parents are willing to spend all of their empty nester years still constantly providing that sort of support to their kids, then fine. Then it's fine. What's the difference? Well, and that's the other point that I wanted to bring up, too, is that we're talking about trends, right? I mean, these certainly aren't universal. Um, because I, I know, in fact, I know personally some folks whose parents kind of helicopter a little bit and their response isn't to become more needy. Their response is to be, you know, sort of push it off and say, well, let me show you. If you think that I can't handle this on my own, I'm going to show you how I can handle this on my own. Yeah. So it sort of pushes yeah. them in the other direction. Now that's, again, that's not universal either. Right. But these are, my point overall is that there are trends. There's, I know people my age whose parents are helicopterish. Versus other parents right. in my age. So it's it's not a universal thing. But of course. Imagination. At the end of the day, you know, which is the worst way to start a sentence ever. Right. <laughs> you, you, we, you, every parent is just trying to do the best they can. Absolutely. To try to produce successful human beings in, in their children. Right. And everybody has a different way of going about it. Uh, but every, that's what I mean. I don't know any parent that doesn't want their kids to live full, happy, successful lives. Right. I do think that parents sometimes are doing all of this kind of hyper-involved parenting more for the good of themselves mm-hmm. than it is for the long-term good of the kid. Are they well, aware of that or is that no, just a No, I don't think they're intentionally thing. doing it that way. But the reality is what you get out of it when your kid doesn't live in your house anymore is a continued sense that you're still needed. You're still relevant. You've spent 20 
30 years parenting. And then all of a sudden you're not. And I worry about that. 651-461-9226. Lots of text. Our parents staying too involved for too long with their kids. We'll keep the conversation going on a Friday here on Drive Time. All right, so I just fact-checked myself, right? I went into my text messages to see how often I'm texting my 18-year-old who's off at college. I mean, classic talk show host move, right? Tell parents they're too involved with their kids for too long. Now, my kid is 18 at college. Twice a week is the average, going back a couple weeks. Some weeks it's one. Some weeks it's three days. You're not hovering. I don't think twice a week is hovering. No. In this survey, and we're talking about 18 to 34-year-olds. So to me, there's a different level of involvement at 18 to 22. Sure. And you sort of step it back. And there's actually a book that gets at this issue. Might be more like 25, 26 on the high end now these days. Yeah, right? probably. The insurance bit. Yeah. And the, re- the reality is life is more expensive. Kids have more debt. Like I'm not trying to say in any way that life as a kid today is the same as life as a kid was certainly for not. us yeah, back not. 25 years ago. Not close. This book is called Failure to Launch, When Your 20-something Hasn't Grown Up and What to Do About It. And you would think the psychologist who wrote this book um, would say, yeah, like parents are a little over-involved. Like you need to dial it back. Mm. But what he said is that the prioritization of a parent's relationship with their kids and attending to their kids' needs does help children succeed. He said there is a small subset that it does kind of inhibit the youngster's ability to develop into an adult. So there are some kids that it affects. But the truth is uh, young people, when you look at student debt, 43% of young people in their late 20s today have college debt. Our cohort, it was 28%. Mm. That's a big difference. Yes, it is. It's a big difference. But I don't think we're all doing, like, let's also dial down, like, the high-level stuff. Most of the day-to-day communication that's going on with kids and adults is not, let's talk about your financial situation. Right. Mostly it's friendship, I think. Text, many texts coming in. People, as you would expect, have all different views. And this one is right on. Some of these kids are providing support to their parents on a daily basis. That's sort of what I was getting at on, like, how much of this is the parents need that. They need to be needed. They need the friendship. Sometimes it's maybe, you know, if you're 30, you certainly could have a parent in a medical situation or you know, that needs that support. Maybe this is all up. I'm reticent to just say this is all because technology. It's all because it's easier to do it. Technology has facilitated it. It's a big part of it, but it's not the whole thing. But it, we do it because every generation of parents wants to do it differently than their parents sure. did. It. And our boomer parents were mostly work hard get a job, and get out of the house. And so Gen X parents are, we see you. 
we understand your challenges. Now, how how is this going to work out in 10 years? I don't know. Another texter. My daughter and I talk or text daily. It may be just us, but I like the connection with her and her family. Son-in-law, lovely grandbabies. She is not over-reliant. We are just supportive of each other. Sounds sounds great. Sounds great. I'd be curious to hear the daughter's unbiased opinion on that too. And I'm not judging yeah, it. I'm right. But I'm in this in this survey, and obviously <laughs> the beauty of this survey is that you don't know which group is in which group. Yeah. So seven in ten parents say they're satisfied with their level of involvement in their grown child's life. Just seven percent say they're too involved. Two out of 10 say they'd like more involvement. But when you survey young people, the 20-somethings, the results are the same. They are equally satisfied, 7 and 10. Now, the problem is if you got 30%, maybe yeah. 60% are misaligned. It doesn't correlate necessarily. Right, yeah. right. I think it's really interesting. It is one of the, you know, I, we were talking about this with friends the other night who have the the young kids and and talking about the fact that so many of our friends as adults end up like parents of other kids, parents of your kids, friends, parents of your hockey team. You know, when all the kids are on a basketball or soccer or hockey team, you end up hanging out with the parents. There is this sort of interconnectedness of parent life with kid life. That is something Alyssa and I have always sort of rebelled against, and I feel very in the minority on this. We've tried to have our own friends separate from our kids' lives. We've tried not to make our lives rotate around our kids. While still being very involved, I'm always going to, we go to all the stuff. We go to way more stuff than our parents did, but we've also tried to build a a separate life, and I don't know. Is that, is that Am I right or is everybody else right? Like, I don't know. I definitely would say our way of doing it is not the majority. Absolutely not the majority. This text, absolutely parents are too involved today. Afraid to let uh, their children fail. Yeah, I think I think there is some of that. Let Let your kids stress a little bit. If you're being a good parent, you train them in a way that they're learning every day and preparing for the day that you, as a parent, won't be there. Dan's Dan's point, and I, I agree with that 100%, and I also agree with Dan's point, that parents and kids, everybody's doing their best to be, well, not everybody, but the people who are trying to do their best are doing their best. 331, we'll take a break. Uh, three disasters and puppies on a Friday. Make sure you stick around until Card D Sharks at four. We've got, well, we've got some concert tickets on the line for today's Card D Sharks. So keep it right here on Drive Time with Derusha. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Well, the disasters are a plenty. Oh, so was, many to choose from. It was a long list this week. I'm not going to lie. You know, we try to bring you joy. We try to make you think. And we also try to scare the living hell out of you. And that's what this segment does every Friday, 335. Right, Dan? I mean, you know, maybe scare Like in a pleasant in way. In an entertaining way. Yes. And then we bring the puppies in the and puppy, rescue yeah. the whole thing and send you off into the weekend well, on a good note. Here, and here's how we came up with this. America loves horror movies. They do. And we thought people like getting uh, the bejesus uh, scared out of them. Clearly. Which, you know, you don't want the bejesus in you. No. So if you can get that scared out of you. Scared right out of you. That's ideal. Yeah. And so people like that. So we thought, well, what if we did that with the absolute hellscape that is our our country and our planet? I mean, it's the reality. You might as well well address it. Let's have some fun with it. So here comes disaster number one. Disaster number one, Jason. The first tornado ever recorded in Wisconsin in the usually frigid month of February tore through mostly rural areas on a day that broke records for warmth, setting up the perfect scenario for the type of severe weather normally seen in the late spring and summer. The storms left a swath of destruction that included dead and missing cows, roofs blown off of homes, destroyed storage sheds and barns, trash vehicles, and shattered windows. At least one tornado was confirmed south of Madison, and the National Weather Service was investigating reports of several more spawned from storms that swept across the southeastern part of Wisconsin around 5.30 p.m. yesterday, according to meteorologist Tyler Patterson. There were no reports of significant injuries. Tell that to the cows, by the way. Yeah, you got cows flying through the air. That's significant. Uh, Local emergency management officials uh, reported dozens of buildings, power lines, and other structures that were damaged in the path of the storm that formed in eastern Iowa and died out near Milwaukee. The temperature yesterday was a record high for the day of 59 degrees. This was this is Evansville, Wisconsin, right? Evansville, Wisconsin. First ever tornado in the month of February for the state of Wisconsin. Uh, it was a big one, too. EF2? Yeah. yeah so no. that's... that's uh, I mean, if you're throwing cows around... That could be 120, not a baby tornado. 130 miles per hour. Since uh, not, here's a little another little note. Since 1948, between November and February, fewer than a dozen tornadoes total had been reported in the state of Wisconsin. So if you're if you're in Evansville and just think about anywhere here in in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, we had that sort of record warmth. We weren't quite that warm, but if the tornado siren goes off, yeah, are you are you believing it on February eighth? Well, and thank God it was a Thursday, because if it had gone off on a Wednesday, well, right. we would all just dismissed it oh, as the first uh, Wednesday of the month, right? No right. Big deal. I think I think they got warning on this one, but still, like, holy That's, moly. I mean, a tornado in February. Very strange. But it's okay, because climate change is just a hoax, so we're all going to be fine. El Nino, Dan. Yeah, super El Nino. Nothing to do with anything. Anyway. All right, disaster number two. Number two, uh, garages perhaps yours, Jason, are often cluttered with dusty boxes of heirlooms, 
untouched gym equipment, or a multitude of tools. Any of that resonate with you? I have uh, heirlooms like you wouldn't believe. You I have the best believe. heirlooms. <laughs> Just, I have. What do I have in my garage? There, are, there's a lot of random stuff. Right. Yeah. Would you have uh, a piece of a Cold War era nuclear missile? <laughs> Members of the bomb squad in Bellevue, Washington on Thursday were called to inspect parts of a military-grade missile mm. in the garage of a resident. Elements of the larger intact missile, such as the warhead, were missing, and the authorities deemed the piece to be inert and safe, according to a police news release on Friday. An Air Force museum in Dayton, Ohio, contacted the police in Bellevue, Washington on January 31st to report that a resident had offered to donate the missile, ah, which belonged to his sure. late neighbor. So this guy is like, hey, what am I going to do with this thing? I'm going to call the Air Force Museum. Right. I'm like, hey, I got a missile for you. So he had been put in and charge. And then the museum calls the, calls calls the, the cops. cops. The resident Why did they narc on the guy? <laughs> the resident had been put in charge of his neighbor's estate, according to the Bellevue police, right. and said that his neighbor had originally purchased the missile from another estate sale. <laughs> the police weren't able to contact any of that neighbor's family, according to Officer Seth Tyler. And the next day, the man was surprised to hear sure. from the police sure. because he had not called them, but he invited the Bob Squad to inspect the missile anyway. Well, I mean, you sort of have to, right? Squad members identified the rocket as a Douglas AIR-2 uh-huh. Genie missile yeah. designed to carry a one-and-a-half kiloton nuclear warhead. It was clear that the missile remnant did not pose a threat, given that it was missing its warhead and did not contain rocket fuel, according to the officer. It was essentially just a rusted piece of metal at that point, an artifact in other words. So. I'm just I'm still caught up about these absolute narcs at the museum. <laughs> like well, I wonder they what just the, put the dude on hold. They're well, like, hang on, I'm gonna transfer you. I mean, we'll kind of defend them. Hello. Did, I mean, if the original call is, hey, I got this nuclear missile, are you interested? <laughs> I can sort of see that raising an alarm. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, uh the only missile in my house. Okay. <laughs> okay. Somebody's, not in the garage. Let me tell you that. Okay. It is not Can in the garage. we just move on to disaster number three? I think that joke may have been disaster number three, it but been. sure. We'll call that disaster 2.0. Yeah. Uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Jason, is investigating an outbreak on a luxury cruise ship Uh-oh. where more than 150 people have reported gastrointestinal illness, including yeah. diarrhea and vomiting. Yeah. The Queen Victoria, operated by Cunard Cruise Line. Oh, the Queen Victoria yes, is where de- this happened? Yes, departed San Francisco on Wednesday on its way from Florida to Hawaii. The ship is carrying 1,800 passengers and 970 crew members. Yeah. The cause is unknown. But the cruise ship said that, uh, this told the CDC that the ship increased cleaning and disinfection and isolated ill passengers and crew. The reported, I mean, that's a lot of people to isolate. Well, well, except that the reported cases are total for the entire voyage and do not represent oh, how many people are actively at sick at any one time. I see. The company did not immediately respond to an email from the AP seeking more details. The ship originated in Germany on January 9th and departed Florida on January 22nd. Its next stop is Honolulu on February 12th, and the cruise ends in Australia next month. Next month, yes, is a very long cruise. It's a long cruise, especially if you've already it's seen 100, 150 people get sick. Yeah, 107 nights. This is a beautiful ship. I'm sure it is. Wow, when it's not covered in vomit and <laughs> yes, other things. It's uh, there is 
So, like, I did a little research on this before I went on my mm. Alaskan cruise because yeah. of your incessant uh, <laughs> jokes about, like, getting norovirus it's, and whatever. I mean. It's pretty unusual. It's right here, Jason. It's not know, a joke. Yes, this happens. No. I'm a canard. My 150 people. I mean, there were, like, 600 people on a Royal Caribbean once. Uh but that was like ten years ago, so it just doesn't it doesn't happen I, that I, often. I, but I, when I, it happens, it's particularly it, disgusting. It, it happens because I mean happens. everybody's just You're bottled right up, there, and there ain't anything you can do. Trying to get and to I the did buffet. feel genuinely bad when your wife got sick after going on the cruise. Well, so that's true. I, she, I wasn't trying to manifest right. anything. There. It was the COVID, though. It was the COVID. Well, the Rona got her. I mean, that happens. All right. Three disasters. Three disasters. So the world feels horrible. It's awful. Whatever are we going to do? Well, you know what that means. We need we need some puppies friend of mine last night was saying she misses the pictures that I put on social media of, like, me with puppies. My friend Lauren would like to see. When were you putting pictures? Of- well, yeah, back when I worked in morning news, like, oh, so you yeah, puppies bring the puppies in. by, sure. And so, sure. like, I just put pictures because everyone loves puppies. Who doesn't love puppies? Right. Yeah, and then the they'd like, they would like me more. Well, I mean, you can't. The, math, the math is indisputable. Just take a picture with a puppy. Uh, this is a story out of uh, Pennsylvania. So if anyone wants to loan me their puppies so I can pretend to be a kind human being, Jason at odyssey.com. Bring them on by. All right. Jason, fur will fly at Fairmont's newest dog-friendly bar on Sunday. (laughs) No. As the boozy mutt hosts its own version of Animal Planet's Puppy Bowl. Yes, the inaugural Wooder Bowl would be a little less structured than its television inspiration. There are no official teams or skirmishes, but all pups are invited to play in the bar's 3,100-square-foot field. And any dogs arriving in their Sunday best, a.k.a. football jerseys, will get a free woofer ice treat consisting of watermelon ice cubes and unsweetened whipped cream. That's cute. The Water Bowl doubles as a fundraiser for Act Philly with a dual focus on the nonprofit's Yoda Fund for medically urgent care and getting the shelter's senior dogs adopted. That's cute. At least two dogs will be in attendance for the big game and available for same-day adoption. Visitors can also support Act Philly by purchasing a customized dog tag or select menu items at the Boozy Mutt. Between Super Bowl Sunday and March 11th, the bar will donate $1 from the purchase of mold wine, Bloody Marys, mimosas, and Fairmount fries to the shelter. Ah, and nice. after the Water Bowl ends, doggy revelers and their parents, Paul Rents, I'm sorry, Paw Rents, uh, can stick around for a Super Bowl watch party. Specials on beer, uh, beer pitchers, chicken tenders will kick off 30 minutes before, well, kickoff. And so this is out of Philly. So I right. thought, huh, I wonder if anybody around here, do some Google searching, you know, Google, you know, right. uh, uh, Puppy Bowl. There are plenty of breweries around the Twin Cities that are welcoming dogs in Sunday for the Puppy Bowl, which runs earlier ah, than the game. So come in for the Puppy fun. Bowl with your dog. And yeah, you that's can, good. And hang around for the game. You can do that. Uh, I just couldn't find a story that connected with a shelter. Got it. Thing, so. uh, do you think because it's Philadelphia? Mm. That, like, these dogs are as obnoxious as the Eagles fans were? <laughs> Going to be picking up batteries right, and throwing them at each other. Right, stuff. <laughs> just the meanest dogs ever just acted like the Eagles fans. I mean, you would hope so. It'd be fun. I mean, it would be on brand. Good for the, it's Philly on Philly crime at that case. Yeah, like, it's know, fine by me. It's just par for the course, right? Uh, three disasters and puppies. Excellent work, as always. Dan. Thank you. I only, like, how many of those did I ruin? Out of four, I, well, I probably only ruined two of them. Probably only two of them. That's good. Uh, which is, yeah, that's good. Yeah, thank you. And, and especially that neither of the two were the puppies. Usually it's the puppy story you ruin more than any other. That's true. Uh, and you didn't this time. Yeah. And I'm proud of you for that. I thought about it. 
Because well, I mean, you know my you, feeling. You did um, go for the Philly cheap shot. I did. That's, but the, I, but think I don't think that's, that's ruining it. I think that's, you know, we get it. National Pizza Day is today. Favorite pizza place. We're all positivity. I thought about asking you to tell me what style of pizza you hate. But it's Friday. I'm trying to flip the switch. I'm trying to be a little more positive this afternoon. So your favorite pizza place. How about your favorite pizza style? 651-461-9226. My favorite pizza style is the one in front of me. (laughs) I feel that. That's an excellent answer. I do love pizza. I really do. If there were one food I could have for the rest of my life, it'd be pizza. Yeah. 651-461-9226. Lots of texts coming in with your favorite pizza place. El Mar's New York Pizza in Plymouth. They New York a, style is the best. They have a fresh ricotta. I love Neapolitan. I know that is a little controversial. The center of Neapolitan can be a little soggy sometimes. But I like that very, like, sourdough, chewy, yet crispy dough. Uh, the bright acidity of the tomatoes. Like, I like that flavor. But I also love, like, Latifs in Plymouth which is like old-school, like tavern-style pizza. They cut it in okay. diamond. Oh, interesting. Which which I like uh, because it kind of the people who are pro-triangle or pro-squares, it messes with all have, of them. They have no idea what to do. Yeah, yeah. so I like that. Yeah, give me the big New York-style slice that you can fold in half. Yeah. Happy as slice pizza does a nice version of that. Uh, there's a slice in St. Paul and in northeast Minneapolis, and there's one at Mall of America. Very good. Yeah, best slice. Uh, Snack Room is another good one in the North Loop. I like uh, the coal-fired pizza at Black Sheep. Carbonis. If you're downtown, there's a place Mm -hmm. called Janelli's in the Deluxe. Oh, yeah, very nice. One of my favorites. Nouvelle Brewing, Punch, Broadway. Lots of good texts. Cardi Sharks coming up. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.